This podcast episode is brought to you by The Cry Lounge. The Cry Lounge is an independent publishing company founded by this podcast host, Bonnie Orbison. The Cry Lounge transfers your daydreams onto paper. With two book releases the past two years, they are preparing to extend their service to other authors and other creators. To get more details and support this show, there's a link in the description you can check out. The Cry Lounge looks forward to meeting you. Welcome everybody, welcome to your new favorite podcast, Bonnie's Legends with the host Bonnie Orbison. I'm Bonnie Orbison and I present you every week, every Monday, one of my legends. This week, the legend is called Charlie Klausfeld, everyone. DJ, producer, founder of Lucy, the half of Club 40 Love. And he's an awesome guy. I don't know if Charlie recognized it, but I was really, 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 really excited for this interview with him. I really, I, I got almost a heart attack. No, choke, but my heart was beating fastly. And I hope he is too, because... This man is truly a legend. Have fun listening. Hello. How are you? Hi, how's it going? Uh, nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you too. Thank you for being my guest on my podcast. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, here is Charlie Klasfeld. He's a producer, DJ, the half of Club 40 Love, and the founder of Lucy. You're truly a legend for me. I already told you that you bless my ears with your music. And also by researching, I listen to your remixes on SoundCloud and Spotify. And I'm really impressed how you can make a remix sound like an own song. Really, if I wouldn't know the original songs, I would really think your remixes are the original songs. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's so kind. Uh, <laughs> we start with 16 random questions. I ask that every guest. Okay. So, what's your full name? Charles Brooks Klarsfeld. When's your birthday? April 8th, 1989. Favorite color? My favorite color is green. Good color. Thank <laughs> you. Do you have any pets? I do. I have a dog named Cash. <laughs> She's lovely. I saw her in your Instagram stories. <laughs> Thank you. Where are you from? I'm from, originally I'm from Europe. I was born in London and um, I lived in Paris when I was a boy until I was about six. And then I moved to New York and I've been living there ever since with my family. Moved with my family and I've been living there ever since. <laughs> Favorite food? Favorite food. I like... Hmm... I guess uh, maybe lamb chops is my favorite. You know, like the ribs of the lambs. Yeah. Favorite song or a f song that follows you through your whole life? Song that's followed me. I think 
You know, I always used to listen with my family to the Reservoir Dogs soundtrack. It's a Quentin Tarantino movie. It was one yeah. of his earlier movies. And I, that soundtrack I, it keeps reoccurring in my life, and I've been listening to it since I was a little kid. And it's sort of a collection of songs, but it's, you know, it's got, you know, sort of like Al Green and all these like random 70s artists on it. And that was something that I, you know, was shown at an early age. I think that and also maybe Crazy Sexy Cool is a TLC album and has a song Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls on it. And that song and that record always kind of reappears to me, you know, in different moments in my life. So great choice um favorite artist it can be a painter musician actor actress <laughs> author <laughs> favorite artist i think well i think my favorite writer is probably kurt vonnegut who um is sort of a little bit psychedelic kind of but you know Yeah. I guess I, I mean, I'm not sure exactly how I would define his work, but it feels very real and also fantasy combined. And I've always loved that about his books is it feels like real people and real characters in fantastic situations. So he's yeah. my favorite author. I think, you know, probably Jimi Hendrix is my favorite musician. I was recently revisiting his records with my girlfriend and it's been yeah. fun. So maybe those two. Yeah, I heard a lot of Jimi Hendrix in my childhood because my brother loved him, really. <laughs> cool. Uh, favorite film? Favorite film? I think maybe Masculin Femina by Godard. It's like a French new wave film. I like that a lot. And I also like a film called Network. can't remember who the director is. It's like a 70s, 70s movie about this network news anchor who has a revelation on TV and kind of changes media. It's interesting. I think that favorite book. Favorite book is maybe the sirens of Titan, which is one of the, which is a Vonnegut book. I also really like it's nonfiction, but these collections of essays by David Foster Wallace consider the lobster as one of them and a, a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again is another collection of essays by that author that uh, really impacted me. Okay. What languages can you speak? I can speak English and I can speak broken French, you know, and I'm trying to learn. Yeah. I'm actually trying to learn more French now because My girlfriend is French and we visit her family. And I'm also a French citizen, even though I can't speak. So I want to, <laughs> you know, earn my French passport and speak to, you know, my yeah. my extended family and my in-laws and et cetera. So. <laughs> What's your most used phrase award? I'm trying to think. This would be a better question maybe for my girlfriend or my parents. Trying to <laughs> I don't know. Have you picked up on anything over the conversation yet that I've used a lot? <laughs> okay, <laughs> I will do. Do you still have any music on vinyl or cassettes? I do have music on vinyl. I continue to collect vinyl, actually, you know, as as kind of a hobby. And it's a great way to 
enjoy music and listen to music in a, in a limited focused form because, yes. you know, I, I actually, I love the technology and I love being able to listen to everything quickly, but the ritual of putting on a record is a great ritual. Yeah. And I think for cassettes, my favorite thing about cassettes, it was the first thing you could make a custom collection of music on. It's like the opposite of vinyl. You can make your, yes. everyone made their own mixtapes before there was CDs so I have, I think, one cassette tape, which a friend of mine made for me not that long ago, maybe seven or eight years ago as a gift. It was a really nice gift for my birthday. He found this great cassette tape that was gold and he made me a custom mix so I could listen to it. It's a great way to kind of hear music on this little lo-fi speaker and just reimagine sort of song music in that context. Yes, I believe do you sing in the shower? I do, so occasionally. Maybe every, every five showers I sing in the shower. One in five showers. <laughs> What's the first thing you do in the morning? Like, do you have a morning ritual? It changes a lot, but what I like to do is go for a run with my dog and then meditate. And then sometimes after I go for a run, I make a glass of, of lemonade, of, you know, fresh lemonade. Tastes really good after you exercise. Who's your legend? <laughs> my mother is my legend. Yeah, she's my, she's sort of, I was raised by a single mother and she's very smart and she's very talented and she's very kind and she's my role model. It's so sweet of you. <laughs> okay, let's start. Okay. You live in New York, right? Yeah. I love New York. My big dream is living in New York, writing my books and just enjoy the life. <laughs> so I read an interview that you moved to New York in the age of six and you already said it. And that's since you've been a New Yorker. So how can I imagine a New Yorker? I don't know. I think New York is, it's pretty diverse, you know, and it's, it's full of, you know, locals and immigrants and you know very rich people and very poor people live very close together you know you have pockets within rich neighborhoods and poor neighborhoods you know there's still segregation of class and unfortunately a lot of the time of race as well but if you compare it to other communities and other metropolitan areas you know even if i compare it to los angeles or if i compare it to to maybe even paris or Are you in Berlin? Is that where you live? Or <laughs> no, I live no. in the southern of Germany. So so I don't I don't Frankfurt. I can't, I'm not sure around there in Frankfurt. Okay, around there. Um, so <laughs> so I'm not sure how it is in Germany, but you know, even though there's a big wealth gap and wealth disparity, of course, in the country and also in the city, you still get more of a sense of community, less of a, a sense of separation between. Uh, you know, sort of classes and different races. It's kind of a, a bit more mixed in. You know, New Yorkers are, it's a very kind of cool version of community and a cool version of kind. And there's, you know, a sort of eye contact. People don't wave, people don't say hello on the street, but people make eye contact and kind of nod. And it's kind of very specific kind of, you know, flavor of communication and of cool. Yeah. So I think to me, that's part of what makes a New Yorker a New Yorker is understanding the timing of this kind of subtle language of hello. 
if somebody is being overly nice, then it seems like, oh, that they're maybe not from here. And if someone is kind of trying to be, you know, too cool, then they don't understand that, then you can also tell they're not from here. It's a very kind of subtle personality and communication that New Yorkers have. Yeah. So I live in a, in a village and we all not too. We don't say hello, which is not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are your favorite places in New York? I love Central Park. I do. I like Central Park a lot. They also have a, a garden in the Bronx, which is the Bronx Botanical Garden, which is amazing. It's just like an old kind of very old school, almost colonial style greenhouse with a with a desert room and a, a jungle room and all the different. So I like those places a lot. I like Red Hook a lot, which is a small neighborhood in Brooklyn. Yeah. I just like to walk, you know, so. If I was in New York later in time, where should I go to eat? Where should you go to eat? I'd go to this place called Cafe Mogador a lot, which is sort of a Moroccan French restaurant that we really enjoy. My favorite Italian restaurant is called Bar Pitti, which is great. It's just sort of simple Italian food, pastas, all the very, you know, if you're in Europe, you understand the difference between good Italian food and, and bad Italian food. <laughs> And in New York, there's there's some great Italian food, but there's also some like kind of bad, you know, there's American Italian. There's a lot of different flavors. This is real Italian food, really good. And everybody, it's a cash only and everybody who works in there is Italian and the owner sits there in the front and it's great. So those those are two restaurants that I would recommend. Okay. What do you love living in New York? I think it's probably what I was mentioning before about that, this kind of, this sort of subtle communal aspect of it, I think. I also, I mean, it's one of the capitals of the world for art. So there's just great galleries. My girlfriend works in the art world and my stepfather works in the art world as well. And it's incredible to kind of, you know, to just go to these galleries in Chelsea and, and see great work. So that's something I like about it a lot. Okay. So now to your career. How did everything start? Everything started actually when I was pretty young. I had my first band when I was 14 and we, you know, the lead singer of the band sort of recorded a demo that actually one of, this is a funny piece of press, which I'll, I'll send you afterwards. It's funny to see. It's harder to find, but basically the singer of the band made this demo and then his science teacher put it on a music blog, but it was 2006 or so, I think maybe 2031 <laughs> and I was 14. So it was like 15 or 16 years ago. And it was such a new thing, a music blog. So it, there wasn't a lot of them. And then MTV found a song on this blog and they did a whole story on us and they put it on TRL and we sort of, <laughs> we got offered record deals and all this stuff when I was like 15. So that's when it started to be somewhat professional and yeah, it just, it was very, I mean, you know, it wasn't, it got some attention. It wasn't super successful, you know, really, but like we didn't have anything on the radio or anything, but it was still, you know, a blessing and a curse to have something happen when you're young because you don't understand the effort that it's unusual. You think it's normal. Oh, I make a song. Everybody wants to listen. Then you have to learn mm -hmm. later. Oh, this is not always the process. You have to spend time to nurture and show people what you're doing and all of that. So, 
but that's when it started, I think. <laughs> what were your influences or who inspired you the most? So my influences, that was, you know, when I was really young, I was listening with my mom to music. So those sounds, the Reservoir Dog soundtrack, the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. I don't know why we listened to this in the <laughs> TLC. And then also early pop punk, you know, like Green Day and mm -hmm. been the Offspring in the 90s. I was listening to a lot. And then when I started learning guitar, I listened to The Clash. It's a punk rock band, you know, 70s, Jimi okay. Hendrix and... and I went through all these, all the kind of phases of, of eras, of the sort of most iconic classic, you know. And then also my stepfather lived in Minnesota for a while, which is where Prince is from. And he showed mm -hmm. me, he got me into Prince. And I was sort of, you know, when, when you're living and learning about music after these facts, it's amazing. You can listen to these different decades and see how they influence and how Prince is like a combination of like, Little Richard and Jimi Hendrix, but then also Jimi Hendrix before he was famous played guitar <laughs> in Little Richard's band. Like there's all these these kind of cyclical, amazing narratives and stories you can see with hindsight. And then of course decide well, where do I feel like I sit as an artist in this tradition and whatever. But yeah, so those I think sort of a lot of the main, you know, kind of iconic artists of these eras and then my biggest influence to make music was the singer of my first band. His name's Oliver. And he encouraged me to sing and he encouraged me to write. And he's a very supportive, he's an amazing guy. And he's very community-based, community-oriented. And it has very positive energy that he brings, you know, to, to sort of the world. He's, he's an exceptional guy. And he uh, was my biggest influence to make music. And, you know, it was his band that we started. So When did you realize that this is going to be yours, like the music. I, I bounced around with it a little bit. When I started playing music, I loved it. When I performed, it always resonated with people. I felt, you know, people would always, I would be so scared to perform when I was in music school and I'd perform and people would come and be like, oh, they love this, the performances I did. And so I said, I think that, you know, this is something I enjoy doing that I think maybe I have some talent in doing. Then this stuff happened with my band in high school and then it's kind of stopped and I wanted to do photography for a while. So I did photography and, but I think at a pretty young age, I, I was realized that this is what I loved to do. You know, I love to perform and I love to play music and learn about music and share music. I saw you DJ for the SNHL walkers and now for the protesters. Yeah. Uh, I love this idea, really. <laughs> yeah. I wish somebody would teach you here around, but as I said, I'm living on a village. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how do you prepare for a DJ gig? Well, so for these, for, for over the, the crisis, for the pandemic and the, and the sort of civil unrest, I don't do a full DJ set. I just play one song at 7 p.m. and I play it for the neighborhood. Typically, when I was de when nightclubs were still open and I was DJing, the way that I prepared for the kind of DJ sets that I do, which are like nightclub DJ sets, so like anywhere between an hour and a half to three hours, sometimes even four hours, I'm always, every time I'm in a nightclub, every time there's music on, every time I hear something, if it's like an African song or if it's a top 40 song, if it's a pop song, anything, and I, I'm, I, I like it. I just, I Shazam it and I write it down and from oldies and everything, I just had pages and pages of songs that I write down and I download them 
and I put them on like, you know, these little kind of USB drives. And then I see, well, I like a lot of these different styles and genres of music, but I'm also playing for people to have fun, you know? So I'm playing yeah. songs that more or less that they know, but from different eras. So it's like, how can I connect? How, how can I tell a story that connects like a, a Bee Gees song, a Britney Spears song and a Kanye West song and kind of tying these, you know, one of the ways I really like to do it is to find themes that are similar in lyrics but maybe not the same genre. So you kind of have these topical kind of movements and then people realize these connections and they can also hear the similarities between these songs, which they didn't know existed. And in that way, you can take these songs that people know and love and it feels new again to them because you're showing them a new context for them. So the, the preparation for the way that I DJ is, is sort of a constant awareness of do you know i i copy transitions of djs that i love too that are just nightclub djs if it works it works and we all kind of share things with each other it's it's an interesting community so the preparation isn't so much a, a one-time thing it's more of like a continuous attitude to hearing music and sharing music i think what i like the essential songs for a dj gig like the songs which always works on the dance floor I mean, unfortunately, it, it's never it, it's never always works. That's the thing, you know. Because if you have if you if you you have to read a room and you have to understand the people you're playing music for, and you also have to create the tension and energy for them to like something. Because you know, you could play a song like "Dancing Queen" by ABBA, and if you play it at the wrong time, it feels like you know you're at a bar mitzvah. I'm hearing all these kids' songs. I don't want to hear kids. What's going on? You know, I don't want. Re you have to read the room and you have to listen, you know, when I DJ, there's always a DJ before me and a lot of the time there's a DJ after me and I have to listen to what they're playing and understand what the room is ready for and what they want to hear. But unfortunately, there is no, you know, there's times when it's when a, when there's a new song that's really successful, especially when it's an impactful song like Formation. It's a Beyonce song and it's an incredible piece of music and it it's sort of, it's a protest song within itself in a way. And there's just this kind of attitude. And, and really when these songs, there's this kind of period where the song is out and not everybody knows it. A few people in the club know it and they love it. And then there's this period where everyone kind of knows it. And that that's the kind of golden moment when you have this new piece of music, which is a popular piece of music, but also a kind of revolutionary piece of music and that people can listen to as a community. You know, okay. so it's not so much a specific song as it is a, a certain kind of song in a certain kind of time, you know? Does that make okay. sense? Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> What are the steps of producing a song? The steps of producing a song, they will vary depending on the artist that you're working with and how they work. In a conventional setting, if you're working with an artist that, that's on a, usually it's an artist that's on a record label and they're, oftentimes meeting with different songwriters and different producers to create basically this material to fulfill their obligation to their record label or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they, maybe they got there by just kind of writing and there was this process and now there's schedules, there's time and there's pressures, whatever. So in that circumstance, it will be me, sometimes another producer and another songwriter, maybe even two songwriters. And it's this sort of almost like it's like an, artisan type thing of building a song what are we talking about how are you feeling today 
you know, maybe pull up one or two references and then, you know, we're all writing and we're all kind of producing, but I'm more producing than writing. So me and maybe another producer will start to create the chords and the world, the sonic world and in the back, a songwriter will work with the artist to develop the melodies and the lyrics. And then when we have kind of have this where we can hear it come together, everybody likes it. We'll start, we'll record this idea in the seat of an idea. So that's one way that it happens. Another way that it can happen is an artist also is a bit of a producer and they have a bunch of half finished ideas and you take those like right now I'm producing for this, this, uh, she's, she's, she's American. She's like Russian American artist named Monica Risky. And she's a great songwriter. Most of her songs she's written to these like beats that she finds on the internet. They're like kind of stock beats or beats that mm-hmm. you can buy on a beat marketplace. And the beats are okay, but her writing is really good. So I, I'm taking these songs and I take the pieces of these beats that are from the internet and I sort of completely remake them to support this song that she's already written, mm-hmm. which is uh, to me is on a whole other level than what these kind of beats are. So that's an interesting kind of reverse way. Instead of like having a song dictate a process, you know, like having a, you know, building a song around this, the, the kind of seed of an idea, the idea is already there. And now I'm going back and, you know, it's like the concept for the painting is there and like the center of it is done and I'm going and I'm filling everything around it in the kind of an, in backwards form. And then it's sort of everything in between that that you could imagine. So do you look for singers or do they come to you and ask like, Hey, Charlie, I have this idea. Uh, I would like to work with you. It's a bit of a mix. I mean, I, I find an artist that I really love, you know, I'll just, of course, I'll be like, let's go, let's try and work together, you know, and, and get, and get them in the studio or send them some ideas And then off of the times, you know, it, it's kind of a community. They'll show me other artists that they're working with that they like, and they'll come, you know, they have a friend who was a singer as well. They'll come and sing on a song we'll do together. And then I'll, I'll really like them. And then we'll work on something or I'll, I'll do a remix for somebody. And then they really like the remix. So I'll do a song. It's, it's, it's sort of a, an ambiguous mixture of these different kind of things, you know, because I'm, I'm an independent producer and I'm an independent songwriter I don't work with a publisher I don't really I don't work with a manager so I don't have like this super structural kind of these times these times it's more I'll work with you know it's sort of it's a it's a community thing. you know it's friends and friends of friends and making new friends and I also work doing music for commercials and I that's one way I discover a lot of great independent artists when I'm looking for music for a commercial I'll find an artist Or even if it's an artist I've already listened to and I'll be like, oh, I want to, you know, I'm doing music supervision. So I pick the music. So I'm like, oh, this is great. This artist I love. I don't know them, but, you know, I can get them paid, which is great to do some commercial stuff. And then that can start a conversation with them or their manager. And then after that, sometimes we'll end up working together if we get along. So it's just like anything. It's just a receptive energy and sort of, you know, talking and vibing. <laughs> okay. So... You already mentioned it. What's Lucy? So Lucy is, it's a basically a boutique. So it's a creative consultancy for music and brands, more or less, you know? So it's really just it's something I, I had already started doing was music, making music for ads and sound design for ads. 
And I had this community of artists I was already working with who were really interested in doing that kind of work because it's, even if you have a hit, even if you write songs that are, you get Grammys for, it's still really hard to make money as a, as a producer or whatever. And, you know, of course, when you're working with brands, they would go like, oh, I don't, want it. I don't want it to sound like stock music. I don't want it to sound like, you know, whatever. So it's like, okay, well, there's this sort of demand coming from brands and also from artists, and there isn't a place for them to really sort of work together and kind of I'm in between these two worlds. So it, it's, it's kind of an, a collective that I've sort of assembled to be prepared to sort of filter through that kind of work and interact and make really good, you know, so you have these artists and producers who work and songwriters who work with, you know, they work in the top of the business. You see some, you know, they work with everybody from Diplo to ASAP Rocky and, you know, do movie scores and all that stuff. And this is an opportunity for them to make some extra money doing commercial work. And then these companies get much better quality stuff. So Beyond that, I've done sort of sound design, like immersive experiences, sound design for, for brands and playlists for stores and sort of any kind of everything in between. Okay. How did you come up with this idea of Lucy? It basically was that I had already, I was doing it independently and I just wanted to have a way to brand what I was doing represent it and sort of put it out there in a different way and then also again like sort of have an organized way to present also the network and community of artists that I work with to get them sort of opportunities also in that sphere. Club for Early Love is your new project, your new yeah. band together with E.B. Solace. What inspired the name? We started making this music kind of automatically. He's also he's right now focusing on doing creative direction, but he also has a background as a songwriter and he has like an, like an award from ASCAP, which is the songwriting association. And he wrote this sort of indie rocks hit for this band Phantoms. He's a little older than I am. And I, he got a little bit tired of doing sessions. And I mean, I don't want to speak for him, but based on our conversations, you know, you get to a point when, when you're writing for other artists and you're in a certain aspect of the music production and writing community, it feels like you're trying to write music so that it's successful instead of trying to make music that's mm -hmm. good. You can still make good music that tries to be successful and whatever, but it, it can be exhausting. And for some people who are doing these sessions and sessions and sessions without any real creativity, they get really sick of it. Mm -hmm. E.B., kind of got sick of it and just went into his own zone making these very weird instrumentals. And I continue to work with other artists and produce and write for other artists, but I also was missing that kind of, that piece of, well, what do I want to do? What do I sound like? What is it? What do I make as an artist without there being a goal per se? And him and I got together just because we, he's a, he, he's a DJ as well. And he, I used to see him in all these clubs I DJed at, and we never really met, but we spoke briefly. And a friend of ours said, oh, you know, Charlie Eby is also a songwriter. I don't know if you know that. And especially in New York, it's a tighter community. A lot, so many people are in L.A. right now. If you're in New York, oh, you're a song? Come by the studio. I have a studio in Brooklyn. And we just hung out and just talked about this, this kind of where we're at and what do we want to make. 
And then he came by to do a proper work session and we just started making music and was so we loved it so much, but it was so weird. We were like, Oh, I guess this really is only for us. Do we want to just continue to pursue this creative connection that we have? And then neither of us have put music out as artists in like 10 years. Could this be an experiment to try that again and to awaken, you know, now as, as adults with a new fresh perspective, sort of embracing the vulnerability of being creative and putting ourselves out there in a new way after these different experiences of good experiences and bad experiences to find the kind of courage to come out and share with the world something that is really, we feel kind of unique and vulnerable. And ultimately, you know, this is a really long answer to your question is about community. You know, so when we were thinking about, well, what is the aesthetic of this band? How do we approach, you know, we were really disappointed with the pandemic started because the way we really wanted to share this music and the way it's designed to be shared is in a community setting. Mm -hmm. So by having a name, we wanted to have a name that kind of indicated a group, you know what I mean? Kind of indicated something that you could join. It's almost like a, a fan club, meets a cult or something where it's, but it's about positive energy and togetherness. So we had different sort of words floating around in club, like having like a club, like a members club, that's like an open kind of thing. And then 40 love, you know, it's like a tennis, it's tennis, it's a tennis reference. You know, I don't know if they have it in it's the same in German, but when you are playing tennis, if you have zero, they don't say zero. They say love. So it's 15 love, 30 love, and 40 love okay. means is the closest you can get before you win the game. So for club 40 love, it's sort of like a little bit braggy. It's sort of like, oh, we're winning. We're on top. But it also has this, you know, using the word love as well in it, you know, it has a kind of positive yeah, you know, so it's a way to be to sort of be a little bit hippie about it, but also a little bit cheeky. You know what I mean? To sort of have this continuity between like a clubhouse and kind of like a little bit of swagger and confidence and also community sort of having that together. And it also rhymes, you know, so we just were like, what's something hopefully that people can say in many languages in many, you know, that's not too complicated. And also that no other because every band name has been taken so what can we come up mm -hmm. with that hasn't been taken yeah who sings on it eb sings okay i thought that but you sing too historically i have sung I, it's been a while since i've done it but i might i with this project i might that's kind of my final hurdle is maybe arriving to that and and, and starting to sing again a bit on this project so <laughs> that's my final the mic conquering my final fear of what I used to do that I don't do anymore. You know what I mean? It's coming back. <laughs> yeah. that, so. I need to train my voice a bit, you know. <laughs> What's coming up? A new single of Club 40 Love, new produced singles or a new remix? <laughs> so we do have, we have two, uh, three more songs which are complete for Club 40 Love that are recorded, mixed and mastered that aren't out. So we're going to release those sort of, you know, one this month, once a month, you know, through the rest of the summer, we're going to try and make some kind of music video. I'm trying to figure out how to do that under these circumstances. I'm working on 
this kind of executive production like I was telling you about for that artist Monica Risky. So I'm doing two EPs for her, which are like short albums. And I'm working on that a lot. I am doing a podcast theme song actually right now for um, it's it's confidential but it's a really big client it's really exciting so I just got I've been I've been working with them for I've been sort of pitching them and competing for it for about a month and I just was told that they chose my music so now I'm working with them to sort of do the alternate versions in the stingers so that'll be exciting when I can share who that is and what that client is yeah and then I'm just working with various artists that I that I love on like different singles I have some catching up to do a little bit on my production stuff but I also have some remixes that I want to continue but my challenge is figuring I want to figure out how to do it all in parallel right now I, I kind of do one at a time so I'm trying <laughs> to figure out how to schedule my day so each section of my day I can kind of do a little bit of, of all of it <laughs> sounds yeah. great I did my own podcast theme song so Oh, cool. I'm excited to hear it. Great. Well, you're doing a great job as a host, really. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, my my girlfriend, she does a lot more press than me, and she's done a lot of podcasts. She always does well, but the hosts are not always as good as you are, so you're a very natural host. (laughs) Thank you. I feel honored. (laughs) Okay, that was it. I really want to thank you. There you were. Well, thank you, Bonnie. Podcast. It's so, so nice to, to, you know, to chat with you. Thanks so much for your support and your interest in <laughs> what it is that me and EB are doing, that what I'm doing. You know, it's great to maybe try and sell a lot of records or become rock stars or whatever. But when people like you connect with these music and these stories, that's really the most important thing for me and also I know for EB. So thanks again for, you know, for for paying attention and you know feel free whoever you want to share the music with it's great and we appreciate you a lot so thanks for your time (laughs) thank you for your time have a nice day i think my day is over but yours not over (laughs) yeah have a nice evening over there outside of frankfurt (laughs) yeah (laughs) bye Bye. Charlie Glassfell, everyone. A truly legend. I can't wait to listen to his new upcoming projects. And I hope you too. Until then, his new single of Evie Solis as Club for Love, Don't Look Down, is our witness day. And I want to see how many of you will listen to the song. I can't even wait listening to it. That's it now. I wish you a lovely week. And we'll see us next week to a new episode of Bonnie's Legends. I'm Bonnie Orison, and it's truly an honor to make this podcast for you and show you the day. Bye!